This is Father Reed Henseling at All Saints Episcopal Church, and we're presenting to you the Word of God. The Word of God for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. The 12th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 16. And we are looking at three different books this week. We are looking at the book of Job, this fabulous book uh, located in the Old Testament. We are in chapter 4 through chapter 10 today, this week. Then we're looking at the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for several weeks now and will be uh, for some time. Acts chapter 9, and we will pick up where Paul has met Christ on the road to Damascus, and we will work through the 11th chapter. And then thirdly, we have our gospel reading, and we are in the book of John, the book of John Chapter 6, the famous Bread of Life chapter, and we will go to chapter 8. Again, I want to encourage you to be reading your Bible on a regular basis. You might not be able to get in every day. What I do when I miss a day is I pick up and do two days in a row or three days in a row if I really get behind. And I just read it consecutively. But I try to go every day or at least five days a week. Obviously, I'm covering all seven days. And you'll want to get a flavor and a feel for each of the books because the way the lectionary works, except on Sundays, is that you will be in one book for some period of time. So, on Sunday, we are in Job chapter 4. And again, Job is has been plagued is in trouble physically, spiritually, financially, economically. And he is wondering why this is all going badly for him. We also have his friends. He has three friends. Let's see if I can pronounce their names. Eliphaz, and then Job responds. In chapter 4, Eliphaz speaks. And then Job responds in chapter 6 and chapter 7. And then Bildad speaks in chapter 8. And Job responds to Bildad in chapter 9 and chapter 10. And then Zophar speaks in chapter 11. Chapter 11. We're going through chapter 10 today. Now, what's fun, if you will, in your reading is to see what these three friends say to Job and how Job responds. Obviously, this time of encouragement and going through the lectionary fairly quickly, 20, 25 minutes, we do not have time, obviously, to go through uh, this progression. But I just wanted you to let you know that this is what is going on. The friends say something, and then Job responds. So rather than um, just read the whole thing to you, obviously, just read chapter 4, which we find on Sunday. And he's making an appeal to God. He's defending God. And he's asking Job to respond to what, um, what they're saying. Look at, listen to Job on chapter 6. Listen to Job on chapter 6. This is on Tuesday. 
If only my anguish, verse 2, could be weighed and all the misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sands of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. That's just beautiful poetic language. And what it basically means is Job is in tremendous pain and suffering. And his anguish and his misery is ridiculously high. And the arrows of the Lord and what the Lord's doing against him are just piercing him and destroying him. 13, do I have any power to help myself now that success has been driven by me, from me? A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as my intermittent screams, as the streams that overflow, etc., etc., etc. So it's very poetic, very beautiful, uh, very honest, very real, uh, as Job shares his concerns and his um, pain and suffering. Verse 17 of chapter 7. Verse 17 of chapter 7. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me and let me alone even for an instant? So this relationship he has with God is quite extraordinary, and he feels that the Lord is on him all the time. My life is but a breath, verse 6 of chapter 7. So Bildad responds in chapter 8, Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So the three friends are trying to defend God, as I said earlier, and show Job the error of his thinking. Because Job is obviously mad at God. Because he believes that God brought this upon him. Bildad 8-9 For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. Then he says in 13 Such is the destiny of all who forget God, so perishes the hope of the godless. So he's speaking, he, Bildad, is talking about what God does to the impious person, to the person that does not know God, how he destroys him, how he judges him or her. Okay? Verse 9, of, we were born only yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are but a shadow. So we are nothing. We are nothing compared to God. You don't have any right to talk to God like that. And so when we go to first chapter 9, he says, Indeed, I know this is true, but how can a mortal be righteous before God? Verse 4, his wisdom is profound, his power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? What do you want me to do? You know, God's obviously against me, he's thinking. He alone can stretch the heavens, verse 8. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, verse 10. Miracles that cannot be numbered. And who can say to him, verse 12, what are you doing? Now, if you don't like something, if your life is not going well, what are you going to do? He says in verse 21, sadly, although I am blameless, I haven't done anything wrong. I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. And so the pathos, the pain, the suffering, the despair that Job is experiencing because God is against him is very real. And as you work through this passage through the week, you'll, you'll feel it 
You can feel it. It's very, very powerful. Look at what he says in chapter 10, which is on Saturday. Verse 8, your hands shaped me and made me. So there we have the creation, God's creation. God has made us. Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Verse 9, verse 11, uh, verse 10. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? Verse 11, you gave me life and showed me kindness and your providence watched over my spirit. So he's giving God credit for what he has done for him. At the same time, he's in anguish over what has happened to him, and he blames it on God. So there's this beautiful interplay between the friends and Job, Job's response, then the friend's response, and what they're advising Job to do. And this tremendous honesty that Job is experiencing and dealing with. Enjoy Job this week. In Acts chapter 9, we see this profound change in world history where God Almighty, Jesus Christ, saves Saul of Tarsus, whose name is later going to be Paul. He meets him on the road to Damascus, as we talked about last week, and his life is forever changed, and world history is changed. Now, that sounds kind of hyperbolic, but it's not. The world will never be the same because Paul becomes the greatest, in my view, the greatest of all disciples of all time. Chapter 9, but he's been prepared all these years. So Ananias prays for him, places his hands on him. He's healed. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 9, verse 17, the scales fall down from his eyes. He can see. He's baptized, and then he begins his ministry. He preaches, verse 27, fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So he has gone from being a person that is condemning Christ to a person that defends Christ. It's one of the great turnarounds in all of history. And so enjoy chapter 9. Enjoy chapter 9. Aeneas and Dorcas are in the end of chapter 9. We, we have a healing. Aeneas, a paralytic who'd been bedridden for eight years, Peter heals him. Jesus Christ heals you, and he gets up. And then there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, a very godly woman. She was sick and died. Peter was in Lydia, and they urged him, please come here at once. And she went, he went to pray for Lydia and went to Lydia and prayed for Dorcas. The dead woman, Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, get up. Dorcas or Tabitha was her name. She opens her eyes. She sees Peter. He takes her by the hand and helps her to her feet. He calls the disciples and the widows and presents them to her alive. This became known over all of Joppa. So Peter has this extraordinary miracle-working ability. He heals the paralytic like Jesus did in Mark chapter 2. And he raises the dead like Lazarus in chapter 11. 
of John. Then we go to the great 10th chapter. In the great 10th chapter is this extraordinary interchange between God and Peter and what God was teaching Peter in terms of the vision that he had. And it was hard for him to believe that God was actually talking to him through the vision. But God was changing the way that Peter was thinking. Now, here's the man that had all this miracle skill. He was changing the way he was thinking. So it's a beautiful passage. They go to Cornelius' house, who is a very godly Gentile. And this is a profound movement of the Holy Spirit upon this Gentile. Remember that their ministry was, first of all, to the Jews. But now God was raising Gentiles up and sending the apostles to pray for the Gentiles and to present the gospel. And so we see in Acts chapter 10 on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, this very important chapter where again, Paul had Peter, I'm not Paul, uh, Peter has a speech. So in chapter 9 is Paul, chapter 10 is Peter. Peter has this great speech beginning in the 34th verse and speaking about Christ and who he was and how great he was. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them and great things happened as the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And in chapter 11, Paul Peter explains, I keep wanting to say Paul, don't I? Peter explains to them all the brothers throughout Judea, that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, chapter 11, verse 1. So Peter goes up to Jerusalem, and the Jewish people criticized him. You went into the house of uncircumcised men men and ate with them. But then Peter tells them about the dream that I spoke to you about, how God was speaking to him and changing the way he thought. And He's recounting chapter 10, and he talks about the message that he gave Cornelius and how God moved upon him so that the Gentiles, in verse 18, were granted repentance unto life. So two phenomenal things happened in chapter 9 and 10. The greatest, at that time, instigator of hate and death among the Jewish people in reference to the Christians was Saul of Tarsus. Murderous threats against the Christians. Going to Damascus to make it even worse. And Jesus comes and supernaturally appears to him. And as I said earlier, the world has changed. And Peter being the consummate apostle, arguably the number one apostle, with Jesus, Remember, he's the one that denied him. He has a ministry profoundly to the Jews and to the Jewish nation. But God speaks to him in the first half of chapter 10 as he gets ready to go to Cornelius' house and speaks to him in a dream and shows him that God is doing something different, something new, and he needs to start thinking in a different way. The The circumcised Jews did not like this. They weren't enamored with the idea that the Gentiles would be saved. But God's desire is to save people and to not only save his people, the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Then we go to John chapter 6, 
So enjoy Acts 9 and 10, two really seminal books in, uh, the, in the New Testament. Acts chapter 9 and 10, of course, Job is just beautiful language, beautiful poetry, beautiful, honest, real, organic, real fleshly response to what's going on about him. I love the honesty of Job. We go to the sixth chapter, beginning with the 52nd verse, and Jesus talks about being the bread of life. He talks about doing God's will. He talks about eternal life in that great sixth chapter. He talks about man in the desert, and he's the one that sustains us. And in verse 52, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. That's a strong statement. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is why the Anglican slash Episcopal Church has Holy Communion every week. Because we believe it's important, by God's grace, to receive Holy Communion as that nourishes us and fills us with the power of the Lord. Now, this teaching was very hard. Verse 60, this is Tuesday's readings. Who can accept it? Jesus notices the disciples were grumbling too. He says, does this offend you? Notice he didn't change the message. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I am telling you the truth. I am telling you what's going to profit you. You need to listen to me. What an incredibly important lesson. Listen to Jesus. He has the right answers. He alone has all the right answers all the time. The Spirit of God gives you life. Your flesh counts for nothing. Don't depend on your flesh. Depend on the Spirit of God. He said, there are some of you who do not believe. Many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus asked the twelve, do you not want to leave too? Simon Peter, remember him? Acts chapter 10. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. We are following you, Lord. I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be difficult. It may not make some sense this time, uh, but we are following you. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. So we go to chapter 7. Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. He teaches at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday's reading, broken up. The crowd calls him demon-possessed. Jesus goes back and forth with him. What I love about the Gospel of John, as I said earlier, it's my favorite book of the Bible of of the 66, is I love the tete-a-tetes that Jesus has with people, and I love the conversation that they have together. And so, again, really good, really excellent doctrine. And just to getting an idea of how Jesus, what he thinks about the authorities and how he responds to them. He says in verse 37, If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Come to Jesus and drink. Now, he wasn't talking about physical water, but using that as a metaphor. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow within him. By this he meant the Spirit. So the Spirit of God flowing through you is one of the most important attributes that you could ever have in your life. That the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, we'll later see in Romans, can dwell and does dwell in you if you are a believer. It's all you need for everyday living, that's for sure. Finally, in chapter 8, we have 12 to 20. Jesus says very famously in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me shall never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he is the good, he is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the one to whom we receive eternal life. He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that blesses us. He's the one that fills us. He's the one that nurtures us. He's the one that sustains our lives. And so again, Jesus goes back and forth with the Pharisees from verses 12 to 20, and he talks about his validity. He talks about his importance. He talks about who he is. But amazingly, the people of faith the people that were going to church, the people that were tithing, that knew their Old Testament scriptures, did not believe in him. He was right there in front of them, but they were asking the wrong questions and not listening to what he said. They had another agenda. And so I pray that all of us, as we go through the scriptures this week, will be open, will be honest, will be listening, will hear the word of the Lord, will let the word of the Lord come to us by the power of the Spirit to bless us to sanctify us, to heal us. And if we're going through problems like Job, we will trust the Lord. We will listen to the Lord. We will obey the Lord. We will trust the Lord and thank him. Lord God, bless your people this week. Bless all of us who seek your face and seek the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the love of your people in our lives, to love one another as you have loved us. Give us the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to live for you this coming week and enjoy these scriptures. Speak to our hearts, our minds, and our souls, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week of reading the Word of God. God bless you. See you next week.